Hello everybody, it's me, Auntie, and I hope you guys are doing so well. Well, I am today going to read an email I got, and it's really, I'm really excited about this email because it is from a mommy from Dublin, Ireland. And I thought, wow, I would love to to share this with you guys. And you know what? It'd be great for some of the other mommies and daddies and grandmas and whoever your guardian is to um, hear this little advice that I have. So this mommy, her baby is Sinead. Hi, Sinead. And Sinead's mommy says she really likes to listen to the podcast. And but she'd like her daughter to also read a bit more. And how what advice I have to get her to read more. Well, I do have great advice about it. Um, I had three children. Um, they're all adults now. And they, what I used to do is when they came home from school and every day, even throughout their summer holidays and stuff, I would make them read for half an hour every day. And that was their quiet time. And if they couldn't read, them and I would sit down and read for half an hour every day. And when I'd read to them, I'd always point out the words so they'd learn the words. Um, and I did this all the way up till they were in grade nine, which is high school, um, because by high school, they have got so much homework, so much to do and stuff like that. And as adults now, um, they still enjoy reading. They don't enjoy reading the stuff they used to read, but they enjoy reading more grown-up stuff. My son likes to read anime. Um, my daughter, she likes to read fashion magazines and fashion information and just learn a lot of stuff. And my eldest loves to read a lot of books, which is self-help and to learn a lot of things and how to self-care. So I thought those it's it's wonderful. And then now with my grandchild, it's being passed on to him. And probably when he gets older and starts being able to read himself and understand, um, hopefully she'll do the same thing, make him read for half an hour. And it's pretty nice. And sometimes, you know what, sit with them for the half an hour and let them read to you. It's kind of nice. But then, of course, got to be careful, parents. Don't fall asleep. And little ones... Don't try and put mommy and daddy to sleep, okay? So I hope this advice helped you and that, um, you know, I, I thank you very much for uh, sending me that email. So I'm very excited and uh, about getting this. So today's story is going to be in two parts. So it we're going to have the story now and then for the new episode, next week's new episode, there will be um, the part two. And it, when, when part one is done, I'll tell you why I really enjoyed this story and why I picked this story, especially since it is kind of like a chapter book and quite long. Um, so here we go. Go Fish by Mary Stoles, illustrated by Pat Cummings. Grandfather was in his favorite armchair, reading a book. Thomas was trying not to interrupt. Where's Ringo, I wonder, he said, and added, 
I'm talking to myself, grandfather, not to you. Grandfather went on reading. Got in some place, probably, said Thomas. Some secret cat place that we don't know about. He looked around the room, hoping to find something of interest. His bat and his ball were against the wall, but he wouldn't be able to play for a while yet. He'd broken his ankle trying to steal second, and Dr. Hoskins had taken off the walking cast only yesterday. Did you hear Dr. Hoskins tell me to try for the pitcher's spot? Thomas asked. He says everybody wants a lefty hurler. What do you say to that, huh, Grandfather? Do you think that's maybe a good idea? Grandfather didn't hear or didn't listen. Thomas liked to read. Not as much as Grandfather did. He supposed no one else in the whole world liked to read that much. Still, he had his own books in his room, and some of them were pretty good. A big book about dinosaurs was his favorite. He liked to think of them stomping over the land millions and millions of years ago. That would have been something to see. The earth would crack under those tons of weight and their huge tails would dig trenches in the ground. A dinosaur could have lived right here in Florida where he and grandfather lived now. Thomas could picture it standing out in the backyard, turning its little head from side to side, gazing across the Gulf of Mexico while it nibbled away the tops of trees. Dinosaurs ate salads. Did you know that, Grandfather? They made them out of trees and ferns and different kinds of moss. Like we make ours out of lettuce and tomatoes and broccolis and stuff. That's pretty interesting, I'd say. After a pause, wouldn't you say that was interesting? No sound from the armchair. It was much too good a day to sit indoors looking at words and pictures, even about dinosaurs. There might be something on television to watch, only it was too early for that. Grandfather said television before five o'clock in the afternoon would stunt his growth. Thomas thought about that and laughed. You sure say funny things, Grandfather, he observed, lifting his voice a little. After a bit, he sighed and got up from the floor where he'd been lying on his back watching a green lizard whisk across the ceiling. He went to the kitchen for a glass of milk. He didn't exactly want one, but it was something to do. He pulled the bottle from the refrigerator and dropped it spilling milk over the linoleum. Unluckily, he had not put the cap on the t at that tight the last time he'd taken a drink. Luckily, the bottle was plastic. Besides, there was hardly any milk left in it. Oh, baloney, he called out. Now see what's happened? No response from Grandfather. I suppose I ought to mop this up. Unless maybe you'd do a better job of it, Grandfather. Sometimes I don't clean things just the way you want me to. Maybe I shouldn't even start it if you think it'd be better for you to do it. I'm just asking. Grandfather stirred but made no answer. Okay, Thomas grumbled. I'll do it myself. He opened the door of the cupboard under the sink, yanked out a sponge, 
banged the cupboard door, slapped the sponge onto the floor, got to his knees and sloshed and washed up the milk. This isn't easy, he explained in a loud voice. Ringo put his nose to the kitchen screen door. Let me in, he cried. I've been out here for hours. Thomas smiled and opened the door. In came his big white cat, whining and twining, complaining. Grandfather often said he'd never known any talkative a cat could be until they got Ringer, or he'd usually add, until he got us. Ringo had appeared a couple of years back on a rainy April night, crying at the back door. I'm a kitten, he called in a small mewing voice. I'm the lost kitten that somebody has to do something about. Leaping from the floor where he spent a lot of time, Thomas ran to open the door. Look it, he yelled. Look, grandfather, at this. Kitty, that's all wet out in the rain. His grandfather, who had been getting ready for bed, came to the door frowning. We don't need a cat. I think he needs us. Grandfather turned his hands up. You have a way of putting things, Thomas, that I have no way to answer except to say that you're right. I'll get a towel and you find something for it to eat. There's some flounder left from the dinner. That was how Ringo had come to live with them. From a small complaining kitten, he had grown to be a large complaining cat. Thomas carried on conversations with him. How can you tell what he's talking about? Grandfather once asked. It's all meow to me. Easy, Thomas explained. He's either asking to be let out if he's in or in if he's out. And the rest of the time he's explaining how hungry he is. He thinks we starve him. Grandfather lifted his eyes. He should look in the mirror. Now with a small pink tongue, Ringo helped Thomas to clean up the milk. That's good, Thomas said to him. Ringo liked some of the words to be said low and some louder. He especially liked a squealy voice. A very good job, Ringo Bingo Single Bam, said Thomas in that kind of voice. Ringo wound around himself with pleasure. He fell to the floor, which by the time was pretty clean, if sticky, and rolled onto his back, eyes half closed, purring like a small outboard motor. Thomas went into the living room, slapped his hands together, and said, There, all taken care of, Grandfather. Ringo helped. I would have been a long time just doing the whole entire job by myself. Ringo jumped to the back of Grandfather's chair, but his nose against Grandfather's ear and whispered a few purring words. Grandfather's grip on his book tightened. Thomas poked around looking at things. Even when he thought he'd already seen all of Grandfather's interesting stuff, every time he looked, he found something else he'd either overlooked or forgot about. Hey, Grandfather, he said, when did you get the new piece of driftwood? It looks like a snake, doesn't it? Kind of slithery. Except how could a piece of wood slither, huh? That's a pretty funny idea. I just had it. Well, I couldn't have had it before, of course, because I just now saw this new piece of driftwood you must have found. Grandfather brought his book up till his whole face was hidden. Tom sauntered about, hands behind his back. Over the years, Grandfather had collected 
uh, or made all kinds of things. He had a cabinet of shells from the beaches of Florida. They ranged from the tiniest, a wental trap about the size of a pencil point to a huge lightning whelk that Thomas and grandfather had measured and found to be a foot and three inches long. Grandfather collected stones of curious shapes and bits of petrified wood and pieces of smooth bottle glass that you couldn't find anymore because there practically weren't any glass bottles, just plastic junk. On the bookshelves, besides books, were birds and animals that Grandfather had carved from beach stone and driftwood that had washed ashore. One of the best things they had was a fossil fish embedded in sandstone. Grandfather had found that in North Carolina, when he had been a boy himself, just about the age Thomas was now, eight. Everybody old had once been young. That was a fact. Everyone in the world, even the oldest person, even people older than grandfather, had started out as a baby. Of course, Thomas knew this, but it was one of those things he knew and could not make himself believe. He packed up the piece of sandstone and stared at the little creature that was not even an inch long. It was 50 million years old, maybe older. And here it was, head, bones, tail, a perfect tiny fish being looked at 50 million years later, by this person, Thomas. Whenever he looked at it, he got nearly tongue-tied with wonder. This very fish had swum in an ocean that had once covered, grandfather said, all the eastern seaboard of America. This fish that he held in his hand had swum in that ancient sea, and when it died, had got captured forever in layers of sandstone to be found after 50 million years, maybe more, by a boy who was now Thomas's grandfather. It was easier to believe in dinosaurs that he couldn't see than in the fossil he saw every day. Putting it down, he took up one of grandfather's birds, a green heron carved out of piece of teak. He moved it from the mantel to a table. He sat at the table and got out a deck of cards with a glance at the armchair. He began shuffling. Grandfather lowered his book and glared across the room. Smiling, Thomas walked back to the kitchen, looked out the window and shouted, Grandfather! Hey, Grandfather! It's snowing! Into the kitchen tramped his grandfather over to the window where he looked for a few minutes towards the glittering Gulf of Mexico. Well, he said, well, well, no snow at the back of the house, Thomas. Shall we try the front? Grandfather, you're making fun. Certainly not. If it's snowing around here, I intend to see it. They walked through the living room, opened the front door, stepped out onto the porch. Ringo went with them. He leaped to the railing tucked his paws beneath his chest, and closed his eyes. In the front yard, hibiscus bushes were in bloom, and Boyan Viliak climbed along the fence. 
a huge live oak spread its leafy branches, providing shade, sheltering nests. A crow crouched in the bird bath. He was too big for it, but flapped his wings happily. Bits of rainbow flashed through his splashings. Grandfather says, what do you know? It stopped snowing before I got to make a snowball. Grandfather, you are making fun. Anyways, I didn't say where it was snowing, did I? Ah, you mean that somewhere in the wide world at this moment, as you and I stand here, snow is falling? Of course, said Thomas, and added, isn't it? Of course, I suppose it could snow here someday. I suppose it could happen. To be on the safe side, we'll buy you a sled. Oh, Grandfather, Thomas said, laughing. Tell me, do you plan to interrupt my reading for the rest of the morning? Well, Grandfather nodded. I thought as much. He went back to the living room and put a marker in his book. Thomas, he said, yes, Grandfather, let's go fishing. They got their equipment together. One, two, two rods with reels. Two, a tackle box containing hooks, lead weights, the size of BBs, and the pillars they used to snap their weights in the lines. The pliers also had cutters to cut the line if they caught a fish too big to handle. They had not happened to them yet. Three, a landing net. Four, a cast net for catching bait fish. Five, a pail to keep the bait fish in. Once Grandfather had caught them in the cast net. Six, a few gallon buckets to put water in to keep the fish in once they'd caught them. Seven, a bottle of sunscreen. Eight, a tape to measure a fish they were not sure was big enough to keep. Nine, a scale for weighing a fish that looked big enough to weigh and list it in their record book. They did not often catch fish this big and there were few notations in the book. Sheep shed, sheep, sheep's head over 10 pounds, three entries, redfish over 10 pounds, five entries, and most memorable with a page all to itself, a 16 pound snook caught last year in the proper season by grandfather. There we are, grandfather said now. I guess that's everything. They put on their beaked caps and started off clanking. Ringo kept them company to the place where the lane gave them way to a path leading down to the beach through seals, sea grapes, and sand spurs. Then they'd return to his railing perch and wait for a fish dinner. At the edge of the gull, shallow waves slid over the sand and retreated, leaving winks of foam where Conquinas burrowed to safety, then emerged with the next wave's wash. Sometimes, Grandfather and Thomas collected a bucket of the tiny bevails to make a broth for gumbo. Walking half a mile, they came to an old wooden pier jutting on out into the water. There had been a house there many years before. A hurricane had swept it out to sea. 
most strangely leaving the dock behind. Underneath the dock, stretching a long way on both sides, were tremendous rocks that had formed seawall to protect the house that was no longer there. The seawall had failed to hold back heavy tides in that long-ago hurricane, a storm that had drowned landmarks, toppled water towers, and wrenched trees up by the roots. After tearing highways from their beds, throwing houses out to sea, it had raged away, leaving all the rack behind. Grandfather's own house had been almost buried in their album, where snapshots that showed a huge bow lying across the roof, a branch sticking into what was now Thomas's bedroom. A tremendous dune mixed with shells and seaweed was piled against the front door. This had happened in the before-you-were-born Thomas times. Thomas tried to imagine a world that he, his very own self, wasn't part of. A world that people had been going up and down in, doing the things people do. A world where grandfather had been a boy himself. With a grandfather of his own, and where that grandfather had had his grandfather, you could keep going back like that until, as grandfather often said, you were face to face with a long, long, long ago ancestor in Benin, an ancestor, an ancient town in Africa, and none of those people knowing a thing about Thomas. Well, it was strange. Thomas liked to hear stories about those times, but even as he was listening to and believing grandfather's tales, he couldn't make himself know that there had once been a world without him in it. It was hard to believe as that North Carolina had been at the bottom of the ocean or that the tiny fossil fish on grandfather's desk had lived and swum in the and died in the ocean 50 billion years ago. Isn't the world strange, grandfather, he would say from time to time, and his grandfather always agreed that it was strange indeed. At low tide, the rocks that remained of the former seawall stood out of the water, covered with barnacles and seagrass, crawling with ocean life, crabs, sea snakes, large, glossy, seafaring cockroaches that made Thomas shudder. Why did there have to be cockroaches? He'd asked his grandfather, who answered that because a creature seems ugly doesn't mean it has no right to exist. What do you mean, seems, Thomas had demanded. No doubt cockroaches are considered one another handsome. Oof, Thomas said. There were times when he didn't understand his grandfather, but now it was almost high tide and the rocks were covered. Looking down, Thomas spied a school of glass minnows glinting near the sunken wall. They swam in formation like soldiers darting forward all together, then about face, off in a different direction. Grandfather said that in the way they fooled hungry predators who thought they were one enormous fish instead of thousands of very little ones. 
You wouldn't think fish could be so smart, Thomas said. Everything in nature is smart when it comes to staying alive as long as possible, said Grandfather. I guess that's right, said Thomas. He thought of Conquinas trying to escape into the sand before some crabs or heron got them, before he and Grandfather scooped them up to make a broth out of. Everything alive, trying to stay alive. He looked at the minnows, soon to be bait. They were about the size of Grandfather's fossil fish. Do you suppose any of these guys will get to be fossils, he asked. Little chance of that. There are too many fish, Emerin, around, like us. Fifty million years ago, there weren't as awful lot of fishermen, I guess. There weren't any, said Grandfather. Human beings, including fishermen, had not yet appeared. And our planet in those long times. Golly, said Thomas. Grandfather was always telling him things that took an effort to understand. This time, he decided not to try. Don't you sometimes feel sorry for those, for these poor little minnows and shiners? I mean, besides not getting to be fossils, they don't have a chance against us or the big fish there that, that are after them. That's how it is, Thomas. Everything has to eat, human beings fish, birds, animals. It means all of us trying to catch something that doesn't want to get eaten. Not all of us, said Thomas. I mean, like cows, they eat just grass. And my friend Donnie, his family eats only vegetables. They're vegetarians, like dinosaurs, he added, in case he hadn't made himself clear. Not all dinosaurs were vegetarians, grandfather said. Thomas didn't hear him. He was lying on his stomach, leaning over the dock to dip the bait bucket full of water while Grandfather got the cast net ready. Flinking the weights expertly into place, holding the lead line in his teeth. In a swift motion that Thomas never tired of watching, Grandfather dropped his net over the schooling glass minnows and drew it shut. One second, and they had bait to last the day. A great blue heron appeared, squawking from the trees behind them. Stooping on wide wings, he landed feet forward at the end of the pier, where he stood unmoving as one of Grandfather's carving except for his plumes that stirred in a slight breeze. After a while, he moved towards them on, a, on skinny legs with knobby knees that angled backwards. Making progress in slow motion, he arrived at the bucket of minnows. Thomas and Grandfather watched as he dipped his sword-like beak and dainty selected a fish. His neck looped, as he tossed it down and reached for another. Put the lid on, said Grandfather, after the heron's third minnow had been gobbled down. We came here to get our dinner, not to supply him with his. There was this about fishing, Thomas thought. It was fun if you didn't think how the fish felt about it. And it provided him and his grandfather with food a good part of the year. Are we poor, he asked as grandfather baited both rods. 
Not exactly. Are we rich? Not exactly. We're in between. More toward the poor end. I'd call us semi-poor. Well, that's okay, said Thomas. He waited as grandfather cast for him, then took his rod and moved it up and down in a gently jerky motion. I hope I catch one, he said. Me too, said grandfather. Time passed. The heron stood quietly, his plumes fluttering, while clouds rose in the sky like chalk castles. A large, transparent jellyfish, palely green, pumped along the surface of the water. Remember when he used to call them jellyfish? asked Grandfather. A little annoyed, Thomas said. That was ages ago. Of course, said Grandfather, he added. It was a good description. Doesn't that fellow look like a bowl of lime jello floating along? He isn't green enough, said Thomas. Pickies, said Grandfather. A stingray went by beneath them, rippling like ribbons. Out in the gulf, a school of porpoises arched toward the sky and curved again into the sea over and over. Three pelicans arrived, splashing close to the pier, where they bobbed up and down, looking up at Thomas and Grandfather in hopeful silence. They remind me of little Viking ships, the way they're shaped, said Grandfather. He always said that. Thomas took three shiners from the bucket and tried to toss one to each of the pleading pelicans, but the yellow-headed one got all three. Oh, geez, said Thomas. I better try again. I think not, said Grandfather. They're better fishermen than we are, and you may be sure they'd not share their catch with us. After what seemed to Thomas a very long time, he said, I don't think we're going to catch anything, Grandfather. The most important thing in fishing, said Grandfather, is patience. He always said that, too. Thomas sighed. He yawned. He flicked his line gently and tried to be patient. Okay, so far, isn't that a great story? The reason why I picked this story is I like the relationship between the grandson and the grandfather. And it's something I have always, always, always said to the young ones. You've got to ask your grandparents, ask your mom and dad, aunts and uncles about family history, because it's important. Things get passed down from generation to generation, like recipes, stories, like like the Anansi story. That came from Africa, and it's been passed from generation to generation, where it's to a point they write a book to keep it going, all the Anansi stories. So always ask, ask the elderly, ask them about their history. Ask them when they were what they were like when they were a little boy and girl. I know it's hard to believe they were little boys and girls, but they were. And they probably have great stories about their relationship with their grandparents and aunts and uncles and all those things. And sometimes you makes you understand them a lot more. So don't be afraid to ask them. You know, it's it's always great to know your family history. So that's it for me today. And I hope you guys have gone to shopify.ca slash kids for their little business kit that um, I 
I've been telling you guys about because it's a great opportunity for you to learn how to be an entrepreneur. Nice to own your own business. Okay. So I hope you join me again for next week for part two.